Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. Now, reflecting back on the past few years of interactions with brand founders, especially some of the guests we've had on this show, I've become more and more convinced that reuse and circularity represent the best model for sustainability. And in fact, I've also come to believe that business models that work in this way are actually heralding in an entirely new era of e-commerce. My guest today can only be described as Australia's pioneer of reuse. Jamie Forsyth is the co-founder of Keep Cup, which was the brand that basically started it all when it comes to reusable coffee cups back in 2009. He's now spinning up another circular economy startup in the grocery category called Returner, and I could not think of a more experienced person to come and chat with us on this topic. The insights will flow thick and fast, and so with that, let's start the show. Jamie Forsyth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It is, oh my goodness, what an honor. What an honor <laughs> to have a luminary in the sustainability space in Australia with multiple, not just sustainable brands, but also circular business model brands under your belt. Jamie, I am, I'm so excited to be chatting with you. You're making me blush here, Giles. <laughs> I thought it was just the weather. Um, but but uh, no, seriously, you've done some incredible things, obviously with Keep Cup and now with Returner. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of both of those two brands and, and you know how you came to even getting going with all that stuff? I sure can. I can talk your ear off probably. Lovely. Um, Bring it on. So the, well, the, the journey starts back in 2008 when uh, my sister and I, Abigail, we started, we had a cafe business and we were using hundreds of thousands of paper coffee cups and we wanted to do something about that and we looked around the world for something that we could bolt into our business and there wasn't really anything available. So we went on the journey to design a product that would be fit for purpose where people could basically buy and then reuse Keep Cup was sort of born out of that process. We were also at a time in our business where, you know, I didn't think we were completely suited to the food industry um, and we wanted a business that had some purpose, that was sort of nine to five, that had some IP. We had quite a list of, a wish list of things that we would love in a business and out of that, Keep Cup was started. Now, at the time, we, you know, we were pretty uncertain about where it could work, whether it could work or not. Like it was a big behaviour change to ask people to effectively buy something and then wash it and bring it back into a cafe for reuse. You know, I think the problem was there, uh, the fact that, you know, there was billions of paper coffee cups, you know, being uh, made and landfilled. But it, it was really just around whether people would do that action. Most people didn't think they would. But it turns out we did tap a vein of conscious, conscious consumerism that was a global phenomenon, you know, and we were at a time in that business where um, Instagram was just launching, coffee uh, in Melbourne was like seen as a, you know, a real uh, hot spot around the world. So a lot of people were watching what local roasters were doing and the cafe culture is heavily networked. So once we got cracking here, we very soon got demand in all parts of the world for Keep Cup. And I think probably, 
you know, and everyone sort of knows the story from there, but it was a long, slow climb. Like it, it, people think it was a hockey stick of growth. It wasn't, but it was slow and steady and, um, you know, it was a wonderful business. And although Abby and I started it, really it was driven by the consumers. They're the ones who took it into a cafe. They're the ones who reused. And Abby told me the other day that on a per annum basis, Keep Cup basically prevents the production consumption of about 9 billion paper coffee cups a year. So the numbers is huge. And, you know, we're proud of the achievement of the team that, that built that business and obviously the users who embraced it. I'm going to have to find some canned applause to, ju- to drop into the podcast at, the, at, this, at this point because what, a, what an incredible achievement that is on it, right there on its own. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. It's a ripping brand and it's built by the people. And, it, yeah, it's, it was, you know, fantastic to go on that journey with Keep Cup. Um, and there's something about the Keep Cup thing that probably is going to become relevant later on as we talk about the next brand that I've, I'm working on. And that is is that probably... Now, with experience and hindsight, Keep Cup has a model that is probably the gold standard of how you would create a sustainable product. And that is that essentially the, the Keep Cup gets its value from the consumer buying that product and paying, you know, $20, $30, whatever it is for the product. And then the user takes responsibility for the waste that they create. They wash the cup, they take it in. They choose the brand and the product because they like it and it's, you know, it's fit for purpose and we spent, we agonised over the design and everything. But I think it's important to note that they take responsibility for, you know, the washing and the risk and all those sorts of things. It's not pushed back to supply chain. It's done by the user. And that creates a pull demand on supply chain. It's you as a customer requesting from your supplier that you want it in a format which is sustainable and, and that is very powerful. The the sort of the Achilles heel of that is is that it's very unique to something like coffee because coffee globally around the world, everyone uses the same sizes. We mostly drink the same types of coffee. So it could immediately bolt into what is a massive market. With Returner and what it's about, it has different challenges, some of them which are diabolical because it works in spaces around food service and grocery where the range and the needs and wants within the design are verging on endless. So having an ownership model product where the customer owns it and basically brings it in to be reused is not possible because the variety and the modularity of the product is is unobtainable because there's too many trade-offs in its design. So Returner, uh, which is my new brand that I'm working on, is around, once again, around reuse, which I should have said up front probably is, in my view, the only way to true sustainability. Um, And, you know, when you're replacing what you use with the same thing and you know that that's happening because you are actually doing it rather than putting it into a waste stream where there's a hope that it might be recaptured and recycled into something that's of value. I'll probably have a bit more to say on that later on, but Returner is all all about reuse in the food service and grocery space for all other types of food products. So we do bowls, we do packaging for all types of grocery items, and we effectively run a system where it's a borrow system, so you don't own it. It's you know, described most often as products as a service, but you effectively buy what you want. Could be ice cream, could be coffee beans, could be flour, 
and we deliver those things to you in a reusable container and you you pay for those contents at just normal prices and then when you're done with them you return them to the tote when we deliver the next time we pick it back up we wash it and we return it to supply chain so that's sort of the main crux around return where you basically don't have to own the items which allows us to have a huge range of products to suit a whole lot of different purposes it effectively is all about reuse but it also is also about trying to enhance the user experience so uh, making the experience of using what you're you know whether it's a, a container making that better than what what it would be out of a um, a single use product very interesting how when you start to unpack it like you just did how different the two business models actually are on the outside it sounds great it's a circular business it must be the same but very very different actually because returner really is about uh, like you said product as a service people are using your service to acquire the goods that they consume and then and then they're just using the returner equipment as a vehicle i suppose to transport that whereas keep cup whilst it's still a vehicle to transport coffee your model was selling the item the coffee cup itself and presumably unless somebody wanted more coffee cups they didn't need to come back for you and buy that again so a very very different sort of business model so interesting to see you sort of expand that so what what led you from keep cup into returner what are the key lessons that you took out that you think are, are really powerful that people should take note of that they could deploy between businesses like that well what i would say is, is that the the keep cup model in some ways it, it did involve a lot of behavior change which is the most challenging aspect of any type of business you know getting people to understand what it's about like i would often explain keep cup it seems simple now but when i would explain to people like what it was, it was like a reusable cup that you would use instead of a paper one. People look baffled that, you know, a lot of people look baffled and now and would be often reluctant to take it into a cafe and ask a barista to fill it. But you can see how the world's turned now. Like that seems like quite normal behaviour to do that, whether it's with a cup or any type of item. So that behaviour change, the business model is in some way simpler because it's basically buying and selling a product. And, mm. you know, like if you get it right, then... And you, you know, it's it's got demand globally, and your pricing model is right. Then you know you can do the numbers pretty simply and ensure that it's profitable and something that you can basically hang your hat on. And I'm a strong believer in creating, trying to create commercial businesses that compete with, you know, in my case, single use products. And you want to see those people on the field in terms of, you know, making it work and and providing a better solution for them that is in every way superior because you can't in the long term rely on people's good graces around them try, do, trying to do the right thing. It's got to be more than that. You've got to deliver more. When when I think about the key cut model, it's sort of simpler. Returner is a little bit more complex. In some ways too, it is simple. It's basically just what you do in your house every day. You don't use a cup and throw it out or a plate or something or other. You basically, we do, all we do is just take it back, wash it and return it to supply chain. And the commercial reality of that is, is that every time we do that, whether it's us or anyone else, value pops out into the air. So if you're using, let's say, a single-use bowl and that bowl costs 50 cents, every time a bowl is reused or a cup is reused or whatever it is, that value pops out for someone to grab. The customer can grab it, the supplier can grab it, we can grab it. That's how we attempt to create the value. And so we're grabbing that money that businesses would have been spending on single-use products and just trying to turn them into something that is reusable. When you think across the board, 
you know, and people think about their industries. I mean, my lane is around sort of cafe, food service, grocery, but, you know, there will be industries out there where they look at the single-use products that they consume and they are worth way more than 50 cents, you know, and the effort to basically recapture them and reuse them is in some cases not that much effort. And, and that's where they should track down things because in returner's case, we try and offer a full range of sort of things you need um, because we're trying to meet the customer demand. But in terms of the products we design, what we chase down is sort of three things, environmentally problematic products. So like, I don't know, a good example might be a polystyrene ice cream container or maybe a bag for coffee beans, which are made up of multiple layers of products or environmentally dirty uh, materials. That's the first thing we look for. The second thing we look for is high value. So like a coffee bag or a styrene ice cream container, they cost upwards of a dollar. So there's value that can be captured there. And then the third thing is, is something that we can add design to to make the experience of using it better. So it might be um, a different type of opening or maybe a different type of lid or insulation or those types of things that makes the user experience better and superior to the single-use product because that's what will keep people on the platform and using it if they see that value. Yeah. So just talking about value to the consumer, I think it's a really interesting point you just touched on and I want to explore a bit more because, you know, obviously we're early in the adoption of, you know, circular business models and reuse very, very early, which is, which is exciting, but it's not a model that's, that most people are familiar with or comfortable with yet. So obviously to the consumer, there's some functionality benefits of having something that is more insulated and, and perhaps more robust than the, than the bits of plastic that they've been buying with their, with the actual product inside. But what do you think is the primary value driver for people doing this? Is it right now in in the in the world of 2022 this notion of getting rid of rid of single-use plastics or is it something else or is it both i would say that the minimum buy-in is you need to deliver on your brand promise so like in returner's case our brand promise is that we don't use any single-use items within anything you buy from us and everything is reusable that's our buy-in but it's not enough to win and get customers. We need to deliver more than that. So we need to, you know, we have a few things that we try and deliver beyond that. One is we try and deliver great brands on the platform. So we don't create our own product. Often we're trying to partner with people. Mm. So, you know, we might be partnering with, you know, Market Lane Coffee or and we partner with Carmen's Muesli and we partner with Irrawarra. And basically what we're doing is we're getting their products in reusable containers, which is something they want as brands. Right. And it's also something that has brand presence from the end consumer's point of view. So, you know, when you go to buy, let's say, your groceries on Return of Marketplace, you are looking for familiar brands and products that you want. So there's that part of it. The other part is, is that we try and make the experience of how you use it in your home better. So you know, when you buy our products, you don't decant them out into anything else. They've got a really sexy labeling system. Um, like if you want to, if you've ever desired that sort of OCD pantry look that you see on Instagram, you can cheat and get return of marketplace and you'll, you'll get that. You're Mary condoing the heck out of the, out of the <laughs> yeah, uh, pantry yeah. cupboard. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, it. It's, it's, it's a sneaky way to be, um, to get some pantry porn up. Um, <laughs> <Love it. laughs> 
And so, you know, we're trying to make that experience easy and good. So you effectively take it out of the, your tote that you get your delivery in and you put it straight onto your shelf. You don't have to decant it into anything else. So it's all about this type of experience that we're trying to, you know, get really good at because we see they're the reasons why people will stay on. And then probably the final part of it is, is that we do design our own containers and we do spend a agonize over them to try and make them functional beautiful etc and a lot of people say to us oh you know why would i return this you know like it's so it's so nice and beautiful but we've turned out you know part of the one of the greatest joys of using return on marketplace is getting those products out of your house <laughs> you never have to tiptoe around to the neighbor's bins trying to get rid of your recycling you basically put them in the back of the bag we take them back off you when we deliver and you know that bowl or canister is going to be reused and it's going to it's going to turn into some it's going to be replaced with something that's required because i can't stress enough that you know like there's this you know there's been so much talk over the last few decades around recycling which i consider to be pretty much useless that you know like oh okay it's glass it's recyclable sort of it gets turned into road base in australia and when you use a glass jar you need another glass jar you don't need road base and we don't need to road base as such. We need to keep the sand on the beaches to make the glass. Like the world's got topsy-turvy and, you know, I think that direct replacement can only happen through reuse. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree with everything you just said. And I think that's something that very few people would actually know as well. I mean, you know, I've, we've talked about it on this show before that such a pathetically small amount of the things that end up in the recycled bin, the yellow bins, actually get recycled you know some between 11 and 16 percent depending on the category of product the rest of it just ends up in landfill or shipped overseas somewhere almost nobody and i I don't i think i have heard it once before but i don't know the mechanics of this that glass ends up as road base i mean that's deeply alarming type of situation isn't it but sticking on this notion of of the business model for a second i just uh, there's something that i'm intrigued by because you said that you you know obviously you're working with all different brands as part of returner now which is cool and and they obviously don't want to pay for the packaging you know because they can save money in the supply chain as well by not paying for the packaging so are you are you sending them your containers and they're filling it and sending it back to you and you're keeping a warehouse or, or are they sending it to you in bulk and you're decanting when you get an order? Well, how does that work? Our preferred method is, is that we send them containers and they fill them. And I'd probably say around half of the suppliers on Return of Marketplace do it that way. And the other half we buy in bulk and then we pack down. I think given enough scale and enough volume and and by default, the way in which return a marketplace works, it has to work with very localized suppliers, which is not only a good thing and something that I like personally, supporting local businesses and local brands, but it also works well from a logistical point of view because what kills most attempts at reuse systems is the cost of that logistics. And so how our model basically works from an end user point of view is every delivery is a pickup. And that's also true from the supply side. So every time they deliver coffee in a canister, we give them the empties ready for the next time we place an order. So it's basically just cycling around. So effectively, every delivery is a is a pickup, which halves the amount of logistical costs. Yeah. So have you worked? I mean, because obviously the reverse logistics, as we just talked, as you just touched on, there is one of the trickiest parts of this uh, overall. You know, trying to solve this circularity return problem. 
Um, have you found great partners to work with in that space? And is there anyone you can recommend that will actually do this and work on this kind of re- reverse logistics basis? Well, effectively, that's what we offer to most of our supply chain because, I mean, we get, you know, there's loads of businesses out there that who want to build, who want to build businesses that are sustainable, but they're forced because there's not a lot of options to to do what I would call straddling, where effectively they offer, a, I'll use the coffee, example of coffee again. They have coffee beans in a canister that's reusable and returnable. And then on the same shelf, they have coffee that's in a single-use coffee bag. And the customer, it's a very confusing proposition to the customer because it's like, oh, hang on, which one is sustainable? I'm used to buying it here. And therefore, you can't. It's a very confusing marketing message. Just let me put it that way. Because what the, what does the business say? And And I sympathize with their position because they can't. It's very difficult for them to, you know, completely flip over to a different model uh, and upend their existing sales and their existing customers. It's a huge ask and it's commercially probably, it's commercially risky. And so I, I don't feel like I could put my hand on heart and say, oh, yeah, you should do this. This is a really good idea. So what Return of Marketplace in some ways does is we we get in the way of that because we are all in. We are all chips in. You, If you don't care about the single-use packaging waste you create as a user, then we you wouldn't buy from us. You just would not buy from us. You would buy from Coles or whoever. And because we're so adamant on our, on our position, it means that brands that do want to do something, they only have to talk to us and we will create not only the product that, uh, yeah, the reusable container and help them with that part, we also provide the sales frontage for them, plus we provide the return logistics for them. And they are the three main pain points that they have. A confusing marketing message because they straddle, no ability to sort of position themselves differently. So we do that for them through return of marketplace and then we provide the return logistics. Yeah, right. And also the solution at the supply chain side, which in all honesty is just as hard as what's happening at, at the uh, end user side, at the yeah. home side. So have you built a fleet of vehicles or something to do all the logistics? I did see a picture of a tram somewhere. You're not presumably not just going around with big baskets in trams, <laughs> picking things up and do, dropping things off. No, so we don't. The things that we handle, uh, returner handles as a business, we obviously design and engineer the products. Um, we decide and work with supply chain to decide who's going to be on the platform. We build the customer base on, you know, the sort of the conditions that I've, sort of set forward around, you know, all about reuse and reducing packaging, design, you know, fit for purpose, those sorts of things. And then we and we do the, re- the return logistics, like we keep a ledger of what you have as a user. So we manage that part of it, that database. And we also do the washing. Right. And then the actual physical picking, packing, shipping is done by a third party who's one of our partners on the platform. So... He provides all that warehousing, the last mile logistics, and the picking up of products for us because they're more of an expert in that area. And in all honesty, we've got a lot. We've got a lot on our plate. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you absolutely have. I mean, there's, all of those things are immensely challenging, you know. And I think in talking to a lot of these sorts of businesses, I know that the the, the part that stops them from giving it all a go, giving this whole, you know, return business model a go is definitely this last mile delivery and pickup. It's that part of it. 
So you, you've obviously done a, a great job by finding a partner that's that's prepared to do that. Yeah. So um, the partner is called Organic Ease, and they do um, the organic fruit box that's on the platform, fruit and veg box that's on the platform. And they're a small private business that we love because they provide like an awesome customer-facing service and also provide that return logistics for us to, um, you know, get our things back. Yeah. And, yeah, we've got a great relationship with them and they also have a great product that, we, that we're that we able to, to sell on the platform. Absolutely. So, so um, if if I was to push you for a recommendation, not particularly on the on the actual business itself, although you've just given us that, so thank you. But on the way to get this done, would it be would it be fair to say that your suggestion would be not go with the big delivery organisations, the DHLs, the couriers, please, and all these sorts of people because they're a nightmare, uh, and, but instead partner with somebody that's already kind of got this reverse logistics happening as part of their business model and work together to make it more effective and more efficient for both of you? Uh, I would recommend what we have done and probably to sort of make it more functional, what we're sort of talking about is that places that are really ripe to create a reusable element to them, you know, whether it's part of the packaging or whatever it is, closed markets. And what I mean by that is, is that in our situation, we we sell to the end user. So we know what they are buying, i.e. coffee, and therefore we know what asset it went out in or it went out in that canister. So we can track all that. And then in terms of the delivery, it does not go out to a third party. It basically goes within that same loop. So there's not a hub and spoke type thing. It goes directly from that warehouse to that customer. And that makes things manageable. The, the only problem with that is, is that it does limit you geographically because, you you know, it's harder to go out further. But that's typically quite hard within food anyway because of cold chain logistics and temperature control and all those sorts of things, whether it's hot or cold products. So, like, if you've got an industry where you do have a closed loop where you are selling a product and you are delivering that product, you are in a perfect position to replace an element of it with something that's reusable. Uh, When you are relying on third parties like DHL and Sandal Australia Post or whoever it is, that becomes more difficult because they will use a hub-and-spoke style thing. So when the, the the driver that's going out to the customer is not necessarily coming back to that depot. Yes, right. So the question is, is how do you get that product back? And yep. in the end, what is likely to happen is they're likely to charge you effectively two deliveries. And at that point, the game's a bogey, as they say. Yeah, like it becomes the unit economics can't work. Uh, I would love to get from you a couple of maybe practical steps. If we've got some brands out there that are thinking sustainably and wanting to do this whole reuse model, where are three places you think you could recommend them to start to start thinking about in order to make this a reality? Uh, So start with products that are high value, like the packaging's high value. If they're also environmentally unfriendly products, that's good too. And where design can basically enhance um, its usability. That's where I would start within your range. Right. And then if you do have a closed style delivery system, then you can create that simple return logistics where effectively customers pack up what they basically have or keep it on hand. And every time you do the next delivery, then you you collect it. It's very easy to create the ledger system that Return of Marketplace has. So as a customer on Return of Marketplace, it's a membership model. So you have to be a member and you pay a nominal monthly fee, which is $9.95. That does two things. One, it covers the cost of us running this huge asset pool. 
But it also protects our assets so that if you decide that you want to leave the platform, then you would either return the products or you could buy those products out of the platform. And so that membership covers that. And then what we do is we just keep a ledger of what you've taken and you it's not a one-for-one style situation because when, when it comes to grocery, you know, people might have 20, 30, 40 products in their home that are in, in reusable packaging. And we're fine with that because they're a member and they're they're paying their subscription and that's fine. And then all they do is return what they're finished with. So I don't, I'm not tracking an individual item saying, you know, you need to return that because you've had it for two weeks. It's super simple. And so if another environment, like, I don't know, maybe challenge me with a particular sector, but like in another environment, if you've got that, like managing that ledger is super easy. Maybe if I give an example, so like, you know, we're, we're talking to a few sort of big kind of liquid soap, hair care type businesses at the moment. And um, we're thinking about it for a return of marketplace, which is effectively our home offer. But I have often thought, like let's say within the salon industry, they are right for the picking because they obviously have a lot of plastic consumables packaging. And the the that not only is the supply chain tight in terms of them getting deliveries from a, a consumables part of their business. So effectively, they could you, you might deliver in a whole lot of bottles that they use behind the back bar, and then they would go back into a crate. And every time you deliver, you basically do that pickup. But you also have a customer who's coming in every six to eight weeks, and they're usually the same person. So you know, I think about how you know people consume that way. It's habitual. It's regular. It's the same type of person. So. That is the perfect environment for them, for you to create a ledger where you basically, you know, buy your shampoo and conditioner and whatever else in reusable packaging. And then when you return you, as a customer to get your hair cut or colored the next time, you return those products back to market. Yeah. You know, like that, that to me is like, that's a really sweet little closed loop that someone should basically pick off. I, I love the thought behind that. And I think there are people doing that. So, um, so that's a bit, it's interesting you said it. So I know that we're coming to the end of our time here. So I can't unfortunately pick your brains and go into any further detail on that stuff, which is a great shame. But what is next, Jamie, for Returner? Where do you see this going in the next couple of years? Well, we sort of, we bumped into COVID not long after we started. And so the food service part of it, you know, cafe, restaurant has been, tricky to navigate. We always yeah. wanted to get into the grocery, which is our home offer, which is up and launched. The marketplace, that one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the marketplace. And that's supported by Sustainability Victoria. They gave us a very generous grant for us to get a lot of stuff going there, which was fantastic. So tip of the hat to them. And then we have something that was about to launch pre-COVID, which is really we're, we're about to go hard on it, which is our workplace offer which is basically reusables in your workplace. We call it a micro pool because it's a private pool for, you know, a a workplace where only the staff have access to it. It's a sweet little system that's really effective both financially and environmentally because you have a small pool of a range of different products um, that staff have access to, which they use when they go out to get food or beverages, and they effectively just take out what they need they use a reusable, they return to the office, they put it in the dishwasher, it cycles back to the station that we provide and the merry dance just goes round and round again. You don't have to manage an individual item yourself. You don't have to give one to every staff member. It's a pool and that offer 
I think is going to be really big for us over the next 18 months. So we've done a couple of big installations. ANZ at Docklands have, have done it, Lululemon Assembly, yeah, a range of different businesses, and it works for businesses of 10 to thousands of staff. So um, if that's something of interest to anyone, they should uh, DM me on LinkedIn. So when do you see this coming to Sydney? That's what I want to know. I'd love to go wide and fast, but I probably think like I'm really loving the way Return of Marketplace is working. It's very, very small. There's only, you know, we're in the hundreds of users, so we're tiny, but I'm bullish that it, it will it could be big if I execute well, which is the challenge. And so, you know, moving geographically is probably one of the biggest challenges. Mm. So I don't know. If I was to guess, it would be at least 12 months before we get to Sydney. I don't know. I don't know if I can wait that long to restock my pantry. <laughs> uh, but uh, but let me know. Pick up the phone when you do, because I'll be the, one of the first customers for sure. Yeah, I will. I know people are desperate to get it. Like we, we're still only really in. Um, a couple of areas of Melbourne, like we haven't even gone out geographically wider. Yeah, it's it's coming. It's coming. I've got a, the, the grey hairs creeping in here. God, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I'm sure you feel the pressure to grow it because I know that you've got this enormous purpose behind the whole brand in the first place, and obviously scale is going to be what makes the difference at the end of the day. So, so I know that I know that you have a lot of pressure to build it, and you know we're right behind you as you scale it out. So. Thank you. Uh, thank, you. thank you so much for what you're doing and enormous thanks for coming to join us and giving us a sort of mini masterclass on how to do uh, <laughs> circular business models and, and, and return logistics and all that sort of stuff here today. Really appreciate your time, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, all right. I mean, I, I think what you're doing is fantastic and, you know, because it's all about sharing because we're all sort of in this together. And if anyone does have any further questions, like I'm a big share, I pretty much tell everyone all my secrets. So they are welcome to contact me on LinkedIn and I'll answer whatever they've got. Well, I might have to uh, jump on a plane at some point and come down and, ha- and, and spend a day with you and, and you can show me what you're doing because I know that that's going to be so insightful for the uh, for the businesses that I coach as well. So um, I appreciate you so much for, for your time today, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks very much. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. Back to Giles again for my top three takeouts. And boy, did I have a hard time nailing down just three, but here goes anyway. Implementing a new circular business model, which requires customers to return some form of container for you to refill, inevitably means encouraging your customers to change their behavior. That's a tough thing to do because as much as we're in the age of sustainability becoming mainstream, change is almost always a tough sell. If you're building in circularity, you've definitely got to make sure your brand messaging demonstrates compelling value and you've also got to do everything in your power to make that change as painless as possible otherwise you'll risk the customer putting your brand in the too hard basket the second major takeaway was jamie's three key criteria for selecting what to make reusable and circular start with the highest cost packaging items obviously when making them reusable will most quickly stack up to retain value in your supply chain Next was picking the most environmentally tricky products, either because they're just plain bad for the environment, or possibly if they're complex and hard to get recycled. Thirdly, and in many ways this is the easiest to overlook, but in terms of keeping people inside the loop I think might be the most important, and that is to look for ways to deliver a better experience through product design than the customer would get otherwise using a single-use option. If you can make the customer's life just that little bit better with your reusable alternative, 
they'll be more willing to take the little bit of inconvenience involved with the return part of the cycle. Lastly, of course, we come to logistics. It's one of the toughest problems to solve simply because most of the traditional logistics businesses, Australia Post, Sendle, DHL, you name it, work on a hub and spoke model where delivery vehicles bounce from one hub to another, which makes it hard to get the return item back to your warehouse. And of course, paying for every item to come back independently from the customer is a big ask when trying to maintain your margin. If you're handling distribution within your own system, either directly yourselves or through a partner like in Returner's case, Jamie's view is that's the perfect solution. Otherwise, looking at the behavior patterns of your customers to try and locate new hubs to consolidate the return items might also be a viable option. So I hope you really enjoyed my chat with Jamie. I'll be back in your ears next week with more good stuff from the world of sustainable e-commerce.